believing that God is going to work in your life. Uh, we're in a series right now called uh, Faith Over Fear. And uh, we, this is our second Sunday in this series. There is one thing in my life that over the past probably five or six months has been especially difficult, an, an area that's been especially difficult for me to live in faith in rather than in fear. And it all started actually back in, I guess, probably February or March. Um, my oldest daughter, uh, Tori, she got accepted to um, Washington State University. There it is. There it is. I was waiting for it. <laughs> Any Ducks fans this morning in the place? Yeah. Okay. Um, but she got accepted. So usually when, when a kid gets accepted into a college, uh, there's just tons of excitement. There's lots of celebration. You've all seen the pictures on social media. Um, dad or mom, they've got the official acceptance letter. They've got a banner that says uh, future Coug or future Husky or whatever that might be. There's all this excitement um, that's typically there, but I got to tell you, I was not feeling any of it whatsoever. Um, I'm a dad. My daughter's 18, and she's beautiful. And the idea of sending her six hours away to a college that has mobs of 18 to 22-year-old boys left me a little bit apprehensive, just a little bit. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I was, I, was, I was worried. And it didn't help that every time we told somebody that, that our daughter was going to be going to Wazoo, almost every single time the first words out of the people's mouths that we would tell are, oh, the party school. Apparently, it's got a reputation of being the party school. We didn't know any of that stuff. Um, so, Becky and I, back in July, we head off to the orientation, and this is two-day orientation out in Pullman, and, and what they do in orientation is they send all the students off this direction. So, like, the very start of the two days, all the students go off this direction, and all the parents go off this direction. And I honestly didn't care about whatever the orientation was about. I just wanted those boys to look, make eye contact with me and to know who her dad was. That's all I cared about. But as they go off this direction, I'm noticing that the boys are looking at my daughter the way dads don't want boys looking at their daughters. None of this is helping with this whole fear and worry thing that I've got going inside. And so we go off to with all the, the parents, and we have all these different sessions that we sit through on, on you know, how's your kids going to, how how's the food system going to work, and how's all the, the finances going to work, and how, how are the accommodations going to work. You're learning all this kind of stuff. And actually, I, there's, I, I only had one question that was, that was like the burning question for me the whole entire time. I, I, didn't have a, I, didn't, I didn't need to know anything about all the other stuff. Uh, I just had one question, and the only question I had was, was, is it as big of a party school? Is the party scene as bad as everybody makes it out to be? That was, my, that was the only question that I had. And there was never a good time to answer that or ask that question because none of the sessions had to do with parties. It was all to do with transportation and dorms and college life and all that kind of stuff. But then the last session that they had was, um, it was kind of like a, like a free-for-all for sort of session. And uh, there was a bunch of parents there, and I just kind of chickened out. But I thought, i got to ask this question. So at the very end, Becky and I went down and talked with a guy that was the, uh, like an assistant to the dean. And I asked him, hey, so is, we've heard all about the party life here. Is it as bad as everybody says it is? And his response to me was not super encouraging. Um, he, said, he said, if, you're, if your daughter wants to find a party, there's basically a party going on all hours of the day. She'll, she'll find one if she wants. That's just not what I wanted to hear in that situation. 
And, and uh, I'm kind of joking about all this, but the reality was I was actually worried. As a dad, I was not feeling it. I'm like, is, there's got to be another way. Can't we just stay at our home and do online courses or something like that? But, but I was worried. And, uh, um, you know, it's one thing uh, um, sending your daughter off to a party school that will, um, you know, uh, one thing that will do is it, it will it'll increase your prayer life drastically. And uh, I remember back in, when Tori was five years old, and I remember dropping her off at kindergarten, and I felt in that moment like I was sending my daughter off to the big, bad, wide world. And I remember praying like crazy when she went to kindergarten that she wouldn't, like, have someone call her a bad name or fall off the monkey bars or something like that. Well, this was, like, way worse than that. All you par- parents that have kids at home, brace yourself, okay? It, it, it gets hard. And then this last summer... Not long before we, uh, we headed down to Pullman for moving day, I heard that gentle voice of God um, just whispering in the back of, of my, my head or heart or soul, however he, he speaks to you. I heard that gentle voice whisper something that he's, he's been, or the last four or five months, saying over and over and over again to me is, Rich, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Rich, do you think I'm able to look after your daughter? Rich, do you think that even if she were to go and like completely blow up her life, don't you think that I can, I can pull her back and woo her back at some point? Rich, move from fear to faith. And, and this has been this journey that, that, that I've been on. And like I shared last week, I'm astounded at the lack of faith that I often show. And maybe you can relate how we, we say we believe one thing about God, but then we actually live um, quite different. We say we believe that God is almighty, powerful, powerful name of Jesus like we sung about this morning. But then the way we think and the way we, we live would make it out to believe, uh, like, like we think he's weak. We say we believe we serve a God who is good, but then we quickly go to fear and doubt whenever bad stuff happens. Or we say we believe that God is for us, that he's for us, he's not against us. But then when opposition comes our way, when struggle comes our way, when difficult circumstances come our way, we quickly revert back to wondering, okay, God, are you really for me? God, are you, it feels like you're against me. And our confidence gets shaken, our faith quickly vanishes, and in its place, fear can settle in. And what's happening is that there's this disconnect between what we say we believe about God and then, and then how we actually live. We act as if we don't really believe what we say we believe. And what I want to look at this morning is, and what does life look like? Because we can all relate to that where we go, okay, yeah, we, we believe in a pretty big God. We can, we can relate to that and, and the, the disconnect that happens there. But what does it look like when they're connected? What does it look like when... When what you say about God, what you, you say you believe about God, what does it look like when that's connected to how you actually um, live your life? And, and, and to get there, I want to look at a couple guys in the Bible. Both of these guys had encounters with Jesus. One of them had a faith that left Jesus completely amazed. The other guy had a faith that left Jesus kind of concerned. And if you have a Bible app and you want to track along with us, verses are going to be on the screen too, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. First guy we're going to look at 
Um, it's someone you wouldn't expect to have any kind of faith at all. It says this in Luke chapter 7, 1. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, so he just finished doing some teaching, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. So this centurion, he's a Roman centurion, which means he is, is a, an army guy. He oversees about 100, uh, 100 guys. And, and he's not a guy you expect to have any kind of faith. Most likely he's been raised in mythology. He's been raised to believe that Zeus is God. Um, another reason why you wouldn't expect him to have faith is that bad stuff is happening to him. He has a servant. His servant is sick, the Bible says, and his servant is dying. And, and typically in life when bad stuff is happening, that, that typically is the time where faith decreases rather than increases. And for this guy, it's, it's, it's increasing. And the story continues saying, the centurion heard of Jesus. That's a key phrase there. And he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. And he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So this guy has an understanding here of who Jesus is. And then he goes on to say this incredible faith statement. He says, but say the word in my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does, he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. Now, there's only a handful of times in, in the Bible where we read about Jesus being amazed at somebody's faith. This is one of them. So this is the first guy. He's this, this, this guy who's in a difficult place. His servant is about to die. He goes to faith rather than fear. Jesus is amazed, and he works in a powerful way. Then the, this, the, the chapter continues, Luke chapter 7. It goes right into this, 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 uh, this next Thing that happens in Jesus' life, Jesus, he goes from that place in Capernaum, he, he goes to this town called Nain, and in this town called Nain, he encounters a funeral procession, and at this funeral procession, he raises a dead guy back to life. Pretty amazing. And then right after that, we read about the next guy in, in, our, in our story here, and this is a guy uh, who is a pretty recognizable face in Jesus' circle of people. It's John the Baptist. Um, J.B. for short, and one of the most well-known preachers of Jesus' day. And John the Baptist, so he knows Jesus. He's, he's actually Jesus' cousin. He's seen Jesus. John the Baptist was actually one of the first guys to actually declare who Jesus was. Um, one day when John was out baptizing people, he saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This incredible statement of faith long before anybody else knew who Jesus was. But then you fast forward a few years, John is no longer preaching, he's no longer out telling people who Jesus is, he's no longer preparing the way for the Lord, instead, he's in prison, and rather than boldly declaring a faith that Jesus is the Lamb of God, he's questioning, 
Let's read the story. It says this. John's disciples told him about all these things. So some of the guys that were hanging around John and had been, had been John's disciples, they had heard about the centurion's servant being healed. They had heard about this dead guy being raised back to life. And, and they tell John these things. Calling two of them, the Bible continues, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And, and I don't know if you catch what's going on here, but the faith that he had in Jesus just a few years earlier is gone. Now he's, he's wondering, he's doubting, he's questioning, Jesus, are you really who you say that you are or are you somebody else? What happened to his faith is a question for us this morning. And here's what happened. It actually, what happened to his faith is what happens when life comes along, kicks you to the curb, and, and beats the faith right out of you. Here he was serving God, preaching, doing all this stuff, and then that landed him in this dark, cold, depressing prison cell. He'd been in a place where his belief was strong, where he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, he experienced Jesus. But now he's in this really difficult place. He doesn't even know if he's going to survive. Because typically if you landed in a Roman prison cell, it wasn't going to end very well for you. And like difficult circumstances tend to do, John's in this place where his faith is, is it's shaken. It's been shaken badly. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in that place. You know, your faith starts off it's just strong. You believe. There's... You, you, you know, you've seen Jesus. You, you're, you're following him with everything that you've got. But then you get really sick or you get laid off or your kids just wander completely away from God or your spouse breaks your heart or, or, or things that you thought God was going to do in your life or through your life. You're just not seeing any of that stuff happen. And like John, you, you start to question. God, you said that you were for me, not against me. God, if you're for me and not against me, then why is all this bad stuff happening like this? God, you said that your love for me was as high as the heavens are above the earth. God, it doesn't feel like your love is, is, is that strong for me when my life is just going down the tubes. God, you said that I don't lack anything with you as my shepherd, but God, I lack this and this and this and this. And the greatest test of faith, here's the greatest test of faith, is whether or not you're going to trust God when life gets really, really hard. That's the greatest test. And, and, and I don't know about, about you, but here's what I've, fa- I've found in my life. The test usually revolves around, it's not, it's, it's not a question of whether or not God exists. You know, life gets really hard. Maybe, maybe you've been there before where you're going, man, I don't even know if God exists because life is just so hard. I don't, I don't think for most of us that's where the struggle is. I think for most of us, the struggle when life gets really hard is, is around what kind of God we serve. And, and are we going to believe what the Bible says about God, or are we going to believe what our circumstances are leading us to say, to say about God? The test is around what kind of God we serve. Is he good? Is he loving? Is he for me? Can he be trusted? Is his heart a heart of compassion? Or does deep down he really harbor some kind of ill will towards me and want my life to end up like it is right now? And this is where John the Baptist is at. Life is at its worst, and he's not handling it so well. So, so he sends guys to ask Jesus if he's really 
if he's really the one. And next, the Bible says, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us, sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And then he grabs the microphone, he holds it straight out like this, and then bam, he drops it to the floor. What he wanted them to know, hey, I actually am who I say that I am. Two different stories, uh, two different men. One story ends with Jesus amazed at the level of faith. The other story ends with Jesus more or less saying, John, I can see that your faith is weak. John, I can see that you're living in doubt. John, don't get tripped up. Other translations of the Bible actually say offended just because life is not going how you expected it to go. And when you hold these two stories, you know, just, if you just hold them back to back, I think it's so uh, just like God to put these two s- stories back to back in the Bible. But when you hold them up back to back, you learn some pretty important things about faith. And for starters, we learn that the amount of time that you've been around Jesus or have known about Jesus doesn't actually have much to do with the kind of faith that you have. It doesn't. Here's this centurion who, who barely knows Jesus. Uh, John has been with Jesus literally since they were both in diapers. John has seen Jesus up close. The centurion hasn't, but the amount of time they've been around Jesus has very little impact on their faith. And, and think about what this means for you and me. Just because you've been around Jesus, so to speak, you might have grown up in the church, you might have been... a, a going to church for the last 20 to 30 years, singing songs like we've sung this morning about how great God is. You listen to sermon after sermon after sermon describing in detail who God is. That All that doesn't necessarily mean you have a strong faith. In fact, you could have all of that and still have a very, very weak faith. And the opposite is also true. Like the centurion, you might barely know Jesus, Maybe you just recently made the decision to follow him, and you could have a stronger faith in Jesus than the person who's been around him for decades. So, so what, what is it that actually makes faith strong? What is it about the kind of faith that, that causes Jesus to stop and take notice? What's the difference between the faith of the centurion who barely knew Jesus and the faith of John the Baptist who knew Jesus probably better than just about anybody else? What, what's the difference? Well, here's the difference. What makes faith strong is not how long you've been following a religious system or even how much you know about God. What makes faith strong is that you believe enough in what you've heard about God that you're actually living it out. Did you catch that? What makes faith strong is whether or not it's just a bunch of ideas in your head or, or you, you actually believe in it and you're going to go, I'm going to live this out. I'm going to walk this walk that Jesus has laid out for me. The centurion, he didn't know hardly anything about Jesus, but one thing he knew based off of what he'd been hearing is that Jesus was strong enough to heal people. And so he's like, I got I to gotta get this guy over here to pray for my servant. John the Baptist was the opposite. He knew way more about Jesus 
than the centurion. He knew that Jesus was compassionate. He knew that Jesus was powerful. He knew that Jesus was sent from God. He knew that he was the glory, so glorious that John actually at one point he said, I'm even unworthy to untie his sandals. John knew all of that. And what does he do in this moment? He acts as if he doesn't really believe it. He questions. And here's a problem that I see happens a lot in the church with the way that people live is rather than act on what they already know about God to be true, they refuse to act until their faith just somehow magically grows a little bit bigger. Or they refuse to act until their lives line up with how they, they want them to. And basically what they're saying is, God, give me more faith and then I'll act. But what amazes me about Jesus is when we stop asking and simply begin acting on the faith we already have, he meets us there. You know, back in Jesus' day, there were probably, there were probably a bunch of Roman leaders that had sick family and sick friends. But here in this story, we only read about one of them that, that believed in Jesus enough to go send his, his servants to go get Jesus. You know, back in Jesus' day, there were a lot of people who were physically blind, but, but we read only about a Two guys that, that had enough uh, action to their faith that they were willing to holler out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me from the side of the road. There were a lot of people who were amazed at Jesus as they're seeing him walk and do all these crazy, awesome things and teach about who he was. But I only read about one lady who, who went out and got her expensive, expensive perfume and broke it on Jesus' feet and worshiped him there in that moment. There were a lot of people who crowds of people who believed that Jesus was a pretty cool guy, that believed that Jesus was a pretty great teacher, but there were only a handful of, of, of people that were willing to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. And what you see over and over again is Jesus, he meets people at their point of action. It's the, a faith, the, the, the faith that, that amazes God is the kind of faith that steps into the unseen reality of an invisible God. It takes risks based on a God who can't be seen. It takes action based off of, based off of what this book right here says about God. It, it, it moves into action. The mark of authentic faith is, is not words. It's not just stuff you have packed away up here in your brain about who God is. The mark of authentic faith is action. It's action. The Bible puts it like this in James chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by, by what? By what? It's not accompanied by action is dead. Faith by itself or mere just like profession to some kind of belief just by itself is dead. You're giving God nothing to work with. God meets you at your point of action. And so many in the church confess to have faith in God, but their faith rarely moves from the realm of intellectual agreement into the realm of action. And we see this all the time. You know, just take prayer. How many, we, we've all heard the, 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 the prayer cliches. I mean, we say them so many times, they're, they're cliche, God answers prayer. Or, or prayer moves the hand of God. We say this stuff all the time. And yet, here's a question for you. Does your prayer life actually reflect that you believe that? Does it reflect that? 
Or, or how about the way that we are with finances? You know, we've, we've read and we know all the verses. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll provide for all my riches and glory. Um, we've read 2 Corinthians where it talks about how we'll be enriched in every way. But, but, but that's where it stops. Rather than living lives like this, open-handed, living lives of generosity, um, we, we cling tightly for fear that, that we'll never have enough. We're constantly living in a state of worry, hoarding what we have. Or take our kids. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 103 that from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord has established um, his love with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. That's a tremendous promise in the Bible of how God will keep our kids. But then what happens? They maybe wander away from God or they make some mistakes in life or they decide to head off to the party school. And instead of releasing them into God's hands, and instead of, of believing what God's word has to say, we, we move to fear, we move to doubt, we move to worry, and all that kind of stuff. And what's happening is our actions and our, the posture of our hearts are revealing what we really believe about God. You know, one of the prayers that, that people often pray, and, and I've prayed it all the time myself, and I don't actually think it's the right prayer to be praying. Um, and you're going to think I'm crazy saying that when you hear what the prayer is. But the prayer that we pray so often is, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, increase my faith. Sounds like a good, good prayer to be praying, right? Um, we pray it all the time because why? We feel like we lack faith. We feel like we just need a little bit more. Um, it sounds like the right prayer, but, but I would say it's actually not the right prayer to be praying. And, and there was only one time that I can find in Scripture where the disciples came to Jesus and prayed that prayer. And his response is so interesting. Um, Jesus had just asked his disciples to do something really difficult. You know, it was going to require them to believe. It was going to require them to take a, uh, just a, a step of, uh, that, that was beyond their comfort zones, to make, take a, step, a, a risky step. And so in that moment, what did they do? They, they prayed the prayer that all of us would probably pray. They say, God, increase our faith. And, and you can read about it in Luke chapter 17. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And listen to how he responds. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you've never seen the mustard seed. It's about the size of a sesame seed. You can say to the smallberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, what is Jesus saying here? What he's saying is it's not actually really about the size of your faith. It's, it's, it's not a about the size of your faith. It's about the size of your God and whether or not you really believe that he's that big. That's what it is, is ultimately about. And what matters most is not the size of your faith. What matters is what you do with the faith that you have. Are you going to act on it or not? Are you going to believe what this book says about the God that we serve or not? Are you going to believe that he is good and have a posture in your heart that says, God, you're good, even when all your circumstances around you are completely caving in? Are you going to believe that God is powerful when he asks you to take a step of faith, when he asks you to take a risk that you're uncomfortable with, or are you going to go, go to fear in that moment and question whether or not God's word says about God is true? And, and here's the secret to acting on it. It is not the size of your faith. It is keeping your eyes focused on the size of your God. 
He's a very big God. He's a very big God. Now, some of you are going through it this morning. Your faith is being tested. Everything that you've ever believed about God is being tested in the, the fire of whatever circumstances you're going through. And the, 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 the enemy is whispering in your ear, uh, trying to get you to doubt, trying to get you to question who God is. Is he good? Is he loving? Go to faith. Go to faith this morning. Some of you are, you're hesitating with something that God's asking you to do. It might be a conversation that you need to have with somebody. It might be forgiveness that you need to offer somebody. It might be maybe a place that he's asking you to go to in life, a challenging career decision. It might be, it might uh, involve some kind of ministry opportunity that he's put in front of you. And, and you're just like questioning and you're doubting and you're afraid and you're just like uncomfortable even just thinking about it. Go to faith this morning. Are you going to live in fear or are you going to live in faith believing what this book says about the God that we serve? And then some of you in the room this morning, you've, you've been living in fear when it comes to your kids. You've been watching them just unravel and blow up their lives. Um, some of you are living in fear when it comes to finances. It's just the picture is a complete mess. Some of you are living in fear um, when it comes to your relationships, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's, maybe it's with some friends you have, maybe it's your, your workplace. You've got a choice. You can either stay in fear or go to faith. Go to faith this morning. You know, don't wait for your faith to just magically grow before you trust. Don't wait, don't wait for that. Strong faith is going... God, I know what it says in here about who you are, and I'm not going to wait. I'm going to believe what it says in here about who you are. God is simply asking you to believe today, to believe that he's good, that he's for you, and that, that he is who this book says that he is. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I am convinced this morning that Jesus in this room alone God, we have heard enough things about who you are. God, we've heard enough sermons preached. God, enough songs sung. God, we've heard, we've, we've read enough in devotional time. God, we've heard enough that if we were just to truly believe and begin acting on what we believe, God, who knows what would happen. I mean, this town, this county would certainly be flipped upside down. God, you, you see us. God, I thank you that God, you see our doubt and our questions and our fear. And God, you're not mad. You're not upset. You're not, God, you're not none of that stuff. God, you, you re, your word says that you know how we are formed. God, you remember that we're dust. So God, I would pray this morning that God, in this place, God, you know each situation. God, you know where the fear is, where the worry is, where the doubt is, where the questions are. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would cause, God, God, cause hope to rise up this morning. God, cause hope to rise this morning. God, I pray that this morning we would have the courage, Jesus, to believe. God, help us have the courage to believe. God, I pray that, that Jesus, we would be, um, God, like Abraham. God, we read in your word, Jesus, how, 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 God, though even everything around him was caving in, Jesus, God, you made some promise, promises to him. God, you made some promises that he was going to be of the father of many nations. But here he is. He's getting old. No kids to show for it. His wife is getting really, really old. 
and got into that, God, there's just plenty of opportunity to doubt and to question and to, to be afraid and just to turn his back on you in that situation. But God, I love what your word says. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. But then your word says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. God, may we be a people that God is is fully convinced. God, we're fully convinced in our hearts. And God, we're fully convinced by the way that we live our lives. That God, you are who you say you are. And God, you're able to do, God, whatever it is that you need to do in our lives. And so, Father, for anybody here that's struggling, God, I pray this morning that God, you would, you would cause hope to rise. God, give them the courage to believe, God, the things that they know about you, I pray. And Father, I pray for us as a church, and God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that doesn't focus, God, on the challenges, that doesn't stay focused on the difficulties, that doesn't stay focused, God, on on maybe things not going exactly like we think they're going to go. But God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that stays focused on the size of our God. Help us to be a church that keeps our eyes focused on who you are. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen.